Yusuf. Yes. My gosh, it's been what two and a half years since we met. You have just exploded into the social media hemisphere, right? Um, I mean, who would have thunk? Twenty years after you retired, and here you are at, at a time when most people are winding down their lives. You are at the top of your powers. Mm. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> what do you think? Correction there. Twenty years after I retired. Twenty years after you retired. I retired. In 1999, when, when I was 53, that's right, 53, and now you're 73. You've never looked healthier. You never looked more vibrant. You've just come back from the Serengeti. You're gonna go again to the Serengeti in March, February, right? Uh, Antarctica. Antarctica next month. I've lost count. <laughs> 140 <laughs> countries since you retired. You've driven around the Afri African continent three times. You've, you've driven KL, Malaysia, uh, London, Malaysia three times. South America at least twice. How do you do it? I mean, okay, so let's start with the recipes, right? The recipes for setting yourself up for this kind of lifestyle started way, way before when you are in your corporate life. Tell us about that time. Well, I've always maintained that uh, you should have a strategic, strategic vision of your life. I've always said that life uh, comprises three phases, you know. You spend about 30% of your life uh, trying to get a degree and education, you know which is about 23 years, and then once you graduate, you work for maybe 40 years, uh, and you retire at 60. Uh, so if the average lifespan of a Malaysian male is 76, that would mean you would have worked for nearly 50% of your life, and getting an education is 30%, leaving you only 20% of life to retire. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. It's, it's nowhere near, and that's if you get to 76. I mean, not everybody, and I know the stats say what they are, that your average lifespan will be 76, 78 years old, and, then, and I think in America it's 83. But so many of my friends, or my peer group, are going, poof, heart attacks, strokes, um, cancer, all kinds of crazy non-communicable diseases. That's if you get to that age. So, I mean, when I first met you three years ago, I thought, my God, this guy is someone that I think most, every Malaysian should meet and look up to, because you've just figured it out. You figured it out from a long time ago. Uh, yes, I think you, you need to have a, a strategic vision of, of life. You know? As I said just now, that if you look at life as a series of phases, that the, uh, the, uh, the main phase of your life is your work phase, which is about 40% of your life. And this is where uh, what you do in that phase will determine what will happen in the third phase and the third and final phase of your life. You know? the, the middle phase of your life, your working phase is actually supposed to be that part where uh, you're supposed to postpone consumption. You're supposed to invest, and investment requires savings. Saving requires a postponement of consumption. But I see the millennials these days, you know, I mean, uh, they have a few credit cards, and, you know, savings is the furthest thing from their mind. They go on holidays using the credit card, you know, they, 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 they live life without ever thinking about the future. So, I believe, and that, that we old timers, you know, we still believe that you know, when it's time for work, you work. There will be a time for you to come and play. You know? So if you, um, if you uh, uh, spend a bit of time in the work phase of your life to start thinking and working about uh, working for an investment portfolio for yourself, so that when you retire, there will be an income stream for you to spend instead of spending um, eight to nine, uh, eight o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock at night working for your boss. I mean, uh, you, you, if you don't do something about your own investment 
portfolio for your future, you're going to find that by the time you retire, you're going to be like the 80% of retirees who I call cliche retirees. People who spend their retirement uh, uh, driving their grandchildren to school, becoming uh, spare babysitters and that kind of thing, you know. So uh, retirement should be the phase of life where you are free from all this uh, nonsense. You know? You're free to do whatever you like. And, and what you want to do in retirement, you must start thinking about maybe 10 to 15 years before you retire. Did you know, did you, did you have an inkling of, of what was at stake when you first started work? Because not everybody is as switched on. Um, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Um, but when you're in thick of action, when you've just started your job in your mid-20s, late-20s, mid-30s, early-30s, you're trying to win favor with your boss, you're trying to get promoted. And you know, if you're only, if you're only spending 80-90% of your time in the workforce and going out um, and, and you know, doing for yourselves, whereas your colleagues are there 100% of the time, you know, it's easier said than done. Um, do, you, do you think that um, you had I, this hindsight at that time? I, I don't think it's uh, a question of taking away time from your work for yourself, okay? I'm saying that um, you are suppo- you're paid to work from 8 to 5 or 9 to 5, isn't it? Most people come to work at 7.30 and they go home at 9. Working Which their, is their entire lives. Yeah, working their butt out for their employers. Yeah. And like I said, you know, the toilet roll uh, uh, philosophy, you know, that uh, your employer treats you like a toilet roll. Yeah. You know, they use you and the time comes at 60 when you got to go off. They just chuck the center part of the toilet roll and they fill up the toilet roll space with another toilet roll. Yeah. So you must be, you must be aware <coughs> that, um, that uh, you have to spend a bit of time for yourself in the sense that you must focus on, on building um, a robust investment portfolio. You know, you, you have to save a little bit because if you want to invest, you have to save. Saving means postponing consumption, yeah? So you have to postpone consumption during the work phase of your life, which is actually for you to work. Uh, but my point is that don't work only for your employer. Work also for yourself, yeah? In, uh, while, while, you're looking, while you're looking after your employer's interest, you know, put, a, um, uh, put an ear out for what you can invest in. You know yeah. what, what you can buy. For example, you could buy a piece of land or property or stocks. For example, stocks and shares. You know? uh, invest for the long term. You buy based on long term projection of of the stocks and shares that you are investing in. Not uh, not short term. Yeah. What do you think of this new modern notion of Gen Ys and Gen Zs? You know how there's a phrase called YOLO, which only which is you only live once. And I understand how they think. I mean, I mean, Josh um, behind the camera here, he understands. He's only like. 28, 29 years old, he understands this concept because he's seen people like me and then I guess before that you. Um, sometimes we don't make it to middle age. Maybe sometimes we fall sick. Maybe we, we, so, so they see all these things happening. They see all the things happening around the world like the global financial crisis. And they think they think, screw it, right? I'm just going to do it now because I might not make it in three years, five years, ten years. What do you think of that notion? This whole YOLO thing. Okay. Um, with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, I'm 73, remember? So I've been through it all. I've seen it. So, but, you know, many people say, oh, you're past your, your use by date. You know, I mean, what you say is irrelevant. Differ, it, it, what you, you know, say I mean, is irrelevant. You. I mean, you, you know, m- many people look at retirees as a has been, you know. Actually, your mind never ceases to grow, you never stop learning. And I think it is a crime to retire people off at 65 or 70 when actually in terms of their mind, they're at the peak of their, of their performance uh, uh, 
capabilities you know so okay let's look at it at three at three groups of of, of people the yolos which are the uh, the uh, you know the the middle group the working the people who are still working now let's start looking at those people who've just graduated i mean the objective the strategic objective must be to have a good life to have a good life means there is happiness there's enough money to spend to do what you like so for those those graduates who just finished university my advice to them is you know as soon as you finish university don't get a permanent job don't get a permanent don't get a permanent job okay. get a job that pays you enough for you to travel in other words as soon as you graduate go on a two year sabbatical for example you know most most of the americans most of the europeans that's what they do yeah. they get your thing yeah they 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 as soon as they uh, graduate they you know they just work their way out they work on a ship for example they wash dishes or they drive a truck or they drive a bus or they work at a restaurant just to get them enough money to see them by and then that first two years you know you then enjoy your life okay but we malaysians my observation is that the moment you 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 um, you graduate you get a job you get a permanent job And the moment you get a permanent job, the first thing they ever do is, buy I want to buy a car. car. Buy a bloody car. Yeah, That's you you, you 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 tie yourself in knots over over higher purchase payments, and uh, many of them even yeah. commit to buy a house. Can you imagine? Well, no, that's an argument for in favor of that. Don't you think? Because if the the rules of investing is is, is just the earlier you start, the longer a time frame you have to to for for that thing to compound on value and to grow in 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 capital gains. So I can see the point of that. But I see also the point that if you buy a house and you get tied down in a mortgage, that's it. You're in jail for the next twenty five, thirty, forty years. So anyway, you anybody, any, no, anybody who's graduated at twenty three, there's no way they can save enough to invest. Okay, for the first three or four years of their life, they have to build up some some kind of a um, excess or disposable income that they can set aside for investment. So. As soon as you graduate, the first three four years, no way you can save to Correct. invest into whatever Correct. you want to invest. So, uh, forget about that. You know. So I think investment will come, but the point at which you start serious investment in in putting uh, cash aside for stocks, for for land, for property, or whatever, you know, uh, will come around about maybe the thirties or early thirties or late 20s when you've got a storehouse of uh, not not storehouse, a, a, a little small stockpile of savings huh? because your first couple of years you're earning enough just to pay your way through you know yeah sub- your subsistence living you know and then you want to buy your car you want to do this you want to do that okay never mind you can do that but this serious investment uh, targeted for a steady income stream for the future must come at around about 30 you know where 29 28 30 Well, then you not have enough, um, I suppose, uh, intelligence and sense and so on to look at what is a good investment. You know, the point is you have to start thinking about investing. All the so-called uh, what jolos and all that, not not the not yeah. the jolos. I mean, you know, they they are just thinking of 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 spending of consumption. You know, investment is equal to savings. Savings is postponing consumption, isn't it? Yeah. And the worst thing is that now it's so easy to get a credit card. Easy. I mean, you go on holiday, you charge it to your credit card. You come back for the next five years, you pay your credit card uh, charges at installment uh, interest rates, which are ridiculous. Eighteen to twenty-four percent a year. Yes, year. it's ridiculous. Yeah, crazy. You know? So I I don't know. Um, when I was working, I can count the 
how many cars I've had ever since I've I've been working. Okay, really? yeah. I yeah. can count. You know, what cars the, did you have? The first car I bought is a second car. Second car I bought is a second car, and then the third car I bought is a Volvo. The fourth car is a Volvo, and then the fifth time, the fifth car that I have is all company provided. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how you beat the system. You get high enough to get a company car. Yeah. And then my present car is a 25, 27 year old car. I bought it 27 years ago. What car is that? It's a little uh, sports car, Mitsubishi GTO, <laughs> which is actually now the almost three thousand GTO, <laughs> famous car. Uh, it's it's almost uh, almost an antique, uh, you know, uh, uh, classic car, which I I love it. I love it very. It's still going on strong. Occasionally, it coughs a little bit here and there, it gets the flu and all that, but I love it. I mean, you know, and and these days, I mean, you don't need a car to go into KL. You know, there's you know there's a Grab and, and yeah, Grab. Grab. So. Overseas in UK, US, and that, no young men or young people will ever think about buying a car in the first four or five years of their working life. Sometimes maybe they never buy a car at all. They don't period. at all. So why is it that our 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 kids upon graduation they want to buy a car? Is it because we live in an economy that is built on consumption? Even the government says, "Hey, let's let's have a GDP five percent, six percent a year." And then it's all based on the private sector buying stuff and spending stuff, so it's kind of like counterintuitive because they no, want the economy to grow. The government I, wants the economy I, I, to I grow. I don't think it's got anything to do with that. It's all got to do with uh, what I would call personal discipline. You know, yeah. you 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 want everything now. You know, I mean, you fail the marshmallow test. You know the marshmallow test? No, tell me. <laughs> you don't. You don't know what the marshmallow sounds, test sounds vaguely obscene. <laughs> <laughs> Stanford University did okay. a. Did a test, uh, marshmallow test, you know, uh, to assess uh, kids. They say to the kid, uh, I mean, uh, here is one marshmallow now, but if course, you stop, uh, yeah. you stop and wait for another twenty minutes, I'll give you three marshmallows. And then they see who are the kids who took the one marshmallow, which means instant gratification, and who are the kids who took the three marshmallows, which is twenty minutes later. And then they studied these guys. Thirty years later, they found that the guys who take the three marshmallow, oh, right? yes, are better off than the guys who take only one. So you were that guy that took the three marshmallows after twenty minutes. I would like to advise all these youngsters now. You know that try to be that uh, that uh, the fellow who postponed consumption by taking the three marshmallows later rather than the single marshmallow now. You know. Did you learn that yourself, or was it your parents who taught you these things? Uh, no, I think th- this some of these things are actually. Um, You 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 get born with it, you know that. Uh, okay. Okay. The the uh, and also I so I suppose upbringing, you know your your my parents were not well off, you know yeah. they were just government servants. Uh, we were not poor, but we were not rich. But um, I learned how to value things, you know. That uh, nowadays the 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 you know the uh, tear off society, the throwaway society is is very bad. You know, it breeds a psychological um, uh, thing in your mind that you know nothing is. Uh, permanent, nothing is valuable. You can have a one use and you throw, you yeah. know. So um, I think for for with the benefit of hindsight, I think a bit of advice I can give to all these youngsters uh, that uh, defer your consumption. Yeah, defer consumption. The middle part of your life, the working phase of your life, which is about thirty, forty, fifty percent of your life. Yeah, thirty percent for twenty-three years to get a degree, um, another. Forty years to work or thirty years to work, which is about forty percent. Of if you retire at sixty, sixty minus twenty-three is about thirty-seven. Thirty-seven is about fifty percent, leaving you only twenty percent 
to retire, you know. So this middle part, so the purpose or objective of your life is actually to shorten the working phase of your life, to maximize the earning that you can make during that period, and then to build up an investment portfolio that will see you through the last 30% of your life. Now, the, the objective, obviously, must be to try and make that last part of your life as large a proportion of your life as possible. So based on the uh, average lifespan of a Malaysian male, which is 76, you, you spend 23 years to, to get a degree, you spend about 30, 30, years, 30 years to work, when, if you retire at 60, therefore it leaves you about 23, 24 years, 23 years for you to retire. But I retired at 50 and I've spent 20 years already having fun, you know. And I can tell you the last 20 years of my life the has best. been the best part of my life. So it could be so for, for, for you guys too, you know. I mean, you young millennials and all that. Well, don't look at me. I'm not a millennial. So, you know, and, and the other point is about, about marriage. You know, I mean, uh, uh, marriage, um, what I see these days about young people they get married husband wife works you know yeah. and then they leave their kids in the care of their mate uh, worse still they send it to some uh, you know nursing home somewhere or whatever you know while they go to work you know yeah. I, I don't know I, I'm an old fashioned fashion type when I got married my first request to my wife was you know you don't need to work you know <laughs> yeah you don't need to work because I think um, marriage is a partnership you know one, one part of the partnership gets the bread the other part of the partnership looks after the nest that is why the kids these days have got no values i mean you know many of them are you know they're not properly brought up because they are being educated being given values through television sets through uh through the internet through through friends you know there is no supervision at all by the mother and the father you know so ideally if you want to have children then one of you must sacrifice to at least in the first few years of the child's life to instill him with the values that you need to have a good life and I, we are lucky because you and I our, our mothers don't work you know yeah. our, our mothers gave their attention to us right. uh, and while our fathers go out to work you know and, and we, our wants are not not so ridiculously expensive wants yeah. like we want uh, you know these kids these days they want an iPad and then they want the latest iPad when you get an iPad I want an iPad Pro and then you get uh, Samsung after the Samsung you want Note 9 that kind of thing you keep changing and changing so this kind of consumption behavior is not good you know i remember you telling me when i first met you that um, you had your first child at the age of 23 and then your last child was also in your mid to late 20s so but by the time you retired at the age of 53 your job is done all four or five of your kids had gone through school gone through university and i think all went overseas for for university and your job was done and you're 50 you're only 53 years old was that a strategic decision on your part? Um, it was. Or did it, was it just it, for, for two uh, It was and it was not. I suppose I was fortunate because I married early. Yeah. yeah. I married, I, I've known my girlfriend or my present wife long before we got married. You know, in fact, we just celebrated our 50th uh, wedding anniversary you last year. On the North Pole or something for your On a piece of floating ride? ice uh, in the North Pole. Fantastic. At the North Pole. You know? Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I've known my wife for a long time, you know, before I got married. So I got married at 23. So at 24, we have the first, our first child, you know. And I had my last child, my fourth child, a daughter, when I was 30. 
Yeah, so can you add, can you imagine thirty plus twenty three to go to university gives you exactly fifty three. So fifty three was the signal year for me to stop work, you know, and 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 go and enjoy life. So you know, when you get married, try to get married early, and if you get married late, don't have too many babies later in your life, because theoretically now, the most expensive uh, expenditure for for modern people like like us Malaysians, you know, is actually education for your kids. Apart from your car and car. even your car is only forty fifty thousand, you know, or maybe a hundred and fifty thousand. But education for your kids, you send a kid to. Uh, to uh, university overseas is half a million dollars for for ringgit for medicine, for example. You know. Okay, just a little distraction mm, then. You mm. know, nowadays there's this growing school of thought that education and ter- tertiary education universities is becoming a bit, a bit of a commercial affair, and that there's a bit of um, I guess it's almost kind of like um, there's a school of thought which says that you don't have to spend so much on your education anymore. Because it's becoming a business, it is not so much about educating the child and preparing the child for the future. It's all about paying as much money as you can just to get the piece of paper. Do you subscribe to that? What do you think about that? No, I think uh, um, the reality is that you know um, our our system still pays uh, attention to a piece of paper that says you are a doctorate or you're a undergrad uh, of this or that, graduate of this, that, and the other. That's that's a fact, you know. Uh, our system is based on that kind of a thing, you know. But if you notice, many of the world's uh, wealthiest people are They've really dropouts. You know? yeah. yeah, dropouts. So we we need to learn. And uh, if you look at places like China and Japan and all that, the amount of pressure they put on children to excel in in studies is exactly like like it here, you know. If you had to do all, it all over again with with parenthood, right? And and knowing what you know now about universities and about how successful people, some of them they don't have university educations. Would you put your through? Would you push your kids through at universities? I, I'm basically a very conservative fellow. You know, okay. I would still do okay. whatever I've done. I would still put them through okay. university because university for me is a period in your education system where you transition from being under the protection and care of your parents at home to being uh, let out into the world. Testing the waters, so to speak, you know, trying to get your own friends, trying to build your own um, uh, life, trying to feel what it's like without the care of your parents, you know. So it's as much a learning experience. It is, yes. So I don't know. I found my time during university days was fantastic. You know, I mean, uh, I've I had a lot of fun. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and it's a transition from from uh, being protected by your 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 parents. To standing on your own and establishing your own circle of friends, you're finding people of like values, you know, who think like you, and then from among those pool of people who think like you, who look like you, who, who uh, share the same values, you will pick one to become your life partner, you know, and then you get that's married. That's right. That's right. Then that's you get right. married, and then in the uh, what we call the turbulent thirties, you know, you then discover perhaps you know this was might not have been the right choice, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got the pressures of work. You've got the pressures of family. You've got the pressures of uh, trying to climb up the um, the rat race ladder and all that, you know. So the turbulent thirties um, is a very uh, you know uncomfortable part of life, you know. Yeah. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that you know if you want to have children, have to have children early, so that you you can finish paying for the education as early as possible. So if you use that yardstick, uh, and uh, if you have your last child, let's say at thirty, at fifty three you can retire. Yeah. Uh, if you have your last child at thirty five, plus twenty three, at fifty eight you can retire. 
Which is also okay because you have okay, another yeah. eight, 15, yeah. 18 years, right? See, the, the, the danger is that uh, if you keep postponing retirement, is that your body does not, you know, does not wait. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, if you look at my classmates, we have twenty three in class. You know, in my class, I mean, thirty percent of them are dead. Yeah. You know, so people say uh, Tony's still alive and kicking ass at ninety uh, three. She's 93. an exception, though. I think. No, for every Ton Mate to be alive at ninety three. There will be somebody else that will die at sixty or fifty-five right. to make the average seventy-six. Right. So I mean, <laughs> it's all luck. You know? I mean, if you live long and you are healthy, it's good. But at least you must enjoy your life during the part of life where you're still healthy. Your knees are still uh, able to carry you. You know, not you everybody is Yusuf Hashim. They can <laughs> climb no, mountains no, no, no. in their sixties and seventies. <laughs> but I want to ask you about your about your time as a parent, right? What I mean, I think you've got at least one daughter, so at least a couple daughters, couple sons, right? So you've you've had both genders to to jaga. Um, what kind of like tips and and guidance can you suggest in terms of of, of the optimal parent? Ah, that's uh, that's a bit difficult. Um, do you, the do optimal. You, do you, at what point, you know, how much do you do you give in to their whims, or how much I, how I, much of a disciplinarian, how much do you push them in studies? Or? I, I'm I'm very um, very conservative, as I said to you. You know, I uh, my lifestyle when I was working is is quite uh, quite uh, how do you say it? modest. You know, I mean, when we were living in the UK, uh, working in the UK, all the guys who work in the UK with me uh, from 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 here came back and they bought. BMW, you know, they bought uh, Mercedes, you know, and they were using that over there because you know a Mercedes over there is so cheap, you know, and these guys buy this Mercedes and all that, and yet I have a family of four plus my wife five, and I, I had this Ford Mondeo which I bought second hand, fantastic, you know, so and yeah. my kids are all grown up, four of them being squeezed in the back seats there, you know, I mean, I said, I mean that is a lesson in life for you, you know, it's postponing consumption. If you persist in buying, uh, you know, uh, BMW and so all that, so they can see, they can see. Yeah, how and they see, thing. yes, and they see, and I never give them more than enough money to spend. I said, this is what you have. You, you, I will give you uh, at that time, thirty pounds, forty pounds, you know, uh, per week because that need, you need them. They need that for for food and all that. And it is actually very, very minimal, yeah. you know. And when I buy things for them, I I don't buy expensive things. Even for yourself, you didn't buy the fancy stuff. No, I've never, Makan, I've know, never owned a Rolex watch in my life. You know, I bought my first Rolex watch after I retired. Not Rolex. I bought an Omega watch after I retired. And you're not wearing it now. <laughs> I've given them all away. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 because I don't need the watch. You know, I mean, I ah, this is the thing. You know, the other thing is when you retire, your time is your own. <laughs> don't need a watch anymore. <laughs> there was there was this um, um, billionaire. You know, he had a watch. And in the watch, there were not, there was no hands, there was numbers, you know, one to twelve, you know. But there were a few diamonds floating around the watch case, you know. So this guy asked him, you know, um, your watch, sir, has got no f f uh, hour and hand or second or, or the minute hand, you know. So he says, no, I don't need them. People wait for me. Well, <laughs> that's alright. <coughs> anyway, <laughs> how did you talk to kids, your kids, about you know what what job to have, what um, what education to, to pursue, you know how hands on were you? Um, how did you advise them about boyfriends, girlfriends, 
future life partners. Yeah. Th- this, is, like th- this is where I think uh, when I spoke about this division of labor, a partnership. In so life, you left it th- to, uh, to Mrs. Yusuf? Most of the upbringing. Okay. The, the, you know, the education, the, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the values, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the values that they have and all that were mostly done by my wife. And thank goodness she's a fine lady, you know. She's given them values which I thought were fantastic, you know. I just concentrated on my career. I concentrated on bringing the money back and to pay whatever it is. And now looking back, uh, I have some regrets because I can't remember some of the things that they did, you know, some of the um, things that she shared with them, you know, even going for their graduation, that kind of thing. Sometimes I don't attend as well, you know. But towards the last part of their education, my last two daughters, I suppose I'd learned the lesson a little bit. Yeah. So I spent time really, for example, sending them to school. I took the time to actually send them to school myself. But before that, you know, my first two boys, I just bought a car for the wife and then uh, she does all the <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. driving. I don't even, you know, attend that sort of thing. So, so you, that, that sounds like Sir Alex Ferguson, the former manager of Manchester United. He was so full on with managing the team that he let his wife, Cathy, run their three boys, I think. And it sounds like... Precisely what I did, yeah, actually, because yeah. I, think, I think my wife has been a fantastic woman. She has uh, taken care of the family, which is why I say that, you know, for modern couples who are both working, you know, I think something is going to give, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you keep saying that, and and I notice when they go for dinners, for example, you know, to keep the baby quiet. What do they do? They give, give them, them an iPad. They give the device. It's uh, ridiculous. Give them an iPad. You know, watch the cartoon while they're eating. You know. I mean, I think this is terrible. What you learn from the internet and what you learn from from videos and all that is it's it's not good for proper upbringing. You know. Advice for life partners. Because you, you, I mean, obviously you've got the ideal partner in, in life. You're still together 50 years. She did her part, you did your part. But, you know, you find that in the modern era, um, men look for women of a certain physical characteristic and women themselves look for a certain material characteristic, i.e. they want a rich husband and men want a good-looking wife, a uh, good-looking woman. But they seem to overlook the fact that there's many, many more attributes to a life partner than, than what they are superficially looking for. You know, um, there have been many studies done about about the phases of life. You know, not phases like my simple phase of education, work, and and retirement. There have been um, um, people like Gail Sheehy have written about. Have you heard of Gail Sheehy? Yeah. About passages. You know, uh, she's uh, she's written about the transition, uh, the, the phases of life. That when she was when she wrote the first book, uh, Passages, she spoke about life being, uh, you know, the 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 uh, puberty and then the uh, troubling twenty, uh, the the turbulent twenties, whatever thirties, and then the roaring forties. You know, those days she did that study up to age fifty. She found that this present um, cycle of you know work, um, get, getting uh, ahead in your career, uh, getting children, grandchildren, and all that, there, there were phases. You know, that now it seems um, she continued that study. She studied a, a group of people to see their lifestyle. You know? And when past 50, now she's found that there are new passages because in uh, Western societies, for example, in the US, you know, um, people are actually starting a new life after 50. They, after being married for 30 or 35 years or even 40 years, 
they get married again to a you know they they get divorced and they get ma- married again to a new partner and they start a new. But w- what about the existing partner then? Wouldn't that like throw the, the whole same. family into disarray? Both sides. It's both sides. Oh, I'm I talking see. Not not only one. I'm talking about the lady might find so somebody. Yes, so 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 your original wife finds a new partner yes. and off she goes, uh, and, and you, you find, find another partner yes. and off you go. So this is in the West, you know. So I'm I'm afraid that this is what is happening over here because over here, among um, among our you know our. Datuk datuks, you know, oh. the fashion is to have young young trophy wives, you know, they make a lot of money, and <laughs> they, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then they want to prove that they can still do it, right? It's all about virility and show of yeah, potency, yeah. right? So I, I think that's wrong, and I mean I think marriage for me is for life, you know, whatever it is, you have to work it out, you know. You you saw good qualities in your partner when you first. What met. are the top three most important things one should find in a life partner? I I don't know. I think uh, a give and take attitude, you know, that uh, this forgiving because no no person is perfect, you know. I mean, you as a man you've got flaws, and as a woman you also got right. flaws, you know. So you have to give and you have to take, you know, because uh, if your your um, your supposition is that you are going to be together to death, do you part, that kind of thing, then you will learn to forgive, you know. But now it's so easy i mean you know people go through three yeah. three marriages uh, before yeah. they are 40 you so know so easy kind of to thing. just divorce and then find yeah. another one divorce so, yeah so I, i think something wrong with our our society now well, what do you think that's happening i i, I think the, the modern lifestyle of you know of uh, um, this disposable um, attitude of you know last time when we bought uh, Uh, a plate of me, you know, we bring our siah, you know, <laughs> and we buy and we take the home. There was nothing to throw away. These days, you go and have a, a tapau packet of char kway teow, you bring back a disposable yeah. chopstick, yeah. you bring back um, a plastic bag, yeah. you bring back a straw. The straw is in a disposable, um, uh, you know, cup uh, of, of water and then they use a polystyrene bag to pack your, your char kway teow and then after that, there's a plastic bag outside it. You know, So this disposable mentality, you know, it's um, I, I think it's not good, you know, that everything is is not permanent, you know, this this value of permanency, especially with relationships, huh, is I think um, uh, going down the tubes, you know, it's, it's it's going away. It's, well, it's it's surrounding us. I mean, from your mobile phone and 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 your car and and your washing machine and your television, they all they they're all built yeah. to just last for the. Three, four, five years, and then after that, they they are rendered obsolete by the new model, the new software upgrade, and the new version of this. It's part of our lifestyle. I, I don't know how you know people can change it. I I don't know whether society can ever come back no, to no, our era. No, I I think uh, it's, it's of a more uh, permanent. Uh, it starts viewpoint. with the family unit. In my in my view, this this uh, this idea of a husband and a wife working together and letting the mate and the television and the iPad looking after the the kids you know i think it is bad um, people might call me a, a a male chauvinist pig for advocating that in life there must be a partnership you know somebody must bring the bread somebody must look at the family you know if both of you insist on being the breadwinners so you have you have uh, tension yeah. you know i yeah. mean the, the, the lady equals, the two equals will ah, clash the, yeah the the lady has got her own funds the man has got her own his own funds you know i want to do what i i, I want to do because I, i i can afford it you know i want to do what i i can do because i can afford it so there is no give and take you know so then they split no i agree with you i, I agree that in any relationship there's got to be one which is superior to the other's inferior that's how life is always worked because yin and yang 
opposites, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think the the failure or the breaking up of uh, families these days, you know, is because of this. I mean, I don't mind women working, but if you want to work, then... Many husbands must be at home doing all the other stuff. And I know we're going to get in trouble for this because the, 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 the liberalists in society will say, what are these two guys talking about? They just want to preserve the status quo and for men to stay no, superior. No, no, no. I, I, I have... It's, it's, uh, not, I have uh, it's nothing like that. No, it's, I have relatives where it is the woman, the lady, the wife that works. And the, and, and the man stays at home, you know. Um, a very close relative. You know, they've got a special needs uh, child. Yeah. And um, the, the, the man, because the, la- the lady earns more, so the man say, okay, I will stay at home and do the, the, the cooking, the washing, looking after the special needs child while the lady works. And their marriage is, is uh, you know... Robust. Robust, yeah. And the other two or three members of the family, their marriage is not so, so good. Yeah. In fact, two of them, they got four brothers and sisters, you know, uh, three of them, or two of them, they 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 ended up in divorce. Yeah, I I don't think you can have two basically power couples, two halves of a power couple. It just doesn't happen. I remember this guy called So Eugene. He was the executive editor of the Star. He was very he was very open about the fact that he spent like maybe eight nine years of his life as the house husband while his wife is out you know working and being the breadwinner. He said he said that eight to nine years with his two sons was the most rewarding he had ever experienced in his entire life because he was hands-on with his two kids he was bathing them sending them to school making them breakfast and he said it was amazing i mean not for me clearly but you know horses for courses but that exact inverse relationship has to happen one way or another so if you ask me what is the cause of the problems we have with families with you know divorces it's, it's this kind of thing you know because uh, women in this country at least, started working. Um, I mean, they went full steam ahead, started working maybe about 30, 40 years ago, you know. Before that, I mean, most women don't work, yeah. My mother didn't work. Yeah, My, my wife, she was working, but I persuaded her to... to and she uh, And she agreed, it, yeah. yes, she agreed. And then, um, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is the cause of the the... Um, the way our society is heading now, you know, the the lack of lack of uh, proper ethics, uh, proper integrity, you know, I, I think this is this is a cause. There's not enough uh, uh, upbringing, quality upbringing at home, you know. Yeah. So on to your the best twenty years of your life, <laughs> which is the last <laughs> twenty years of your life. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, well, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna be out there and say, look, I mean, some of your classmates still continue to serve on the boards of their companies and they're still working well you have spent the last 20 years traversing 145 countries you've been to the north south pole driving driving around the world (laughs) how the hell did you do it what were your rules and principles for that well i i i don't know in the last uh, if you view this thing strategically and that you know life is a series of phases in the work phase of your life you must start thinking about your retirement and prepare for it. So how you old prepare? were you when you started thinking about retirement? Well, about forty-five or so, forty. You know, so okay. I have I have interests. At forty, I was very interested in riding my bike all over the place. So you know, I I rode to China on my motorbike from here. And well, you did it, was that a solo trip? No, no, with uh, with a group of friends. With a bunch, so yeah. um, 
I um, was interested in biking, so I started the Super Bikers Club with six other people. Oh, it was you, was it? And yeah, the, you guys the, were the ones making all the noise. Yeah, the we, we were one of the earliest, you know. <laughs> yeah. And we were we were the first to cross the uh, the Mekong at Vientiane to right. cross into Laos from Thailand and onto China by motorbike. The friendship bridge that the Chinese bit, bit, uh, built for to connect um, Laos and Thailand, they didn't allow motorbikes, you know. So when we came, they didn't allow us, so we hired a lorry, put the bike on the lorry, and we went across <laughs> and got down there. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the thing to do is that if you're interested in something, you've got to cultivate the interest. And in the last four or five or maybe ten years of your life, if you're thinking that I want to go and do riding or do traveling, uh, I want to do motoring of some sort when you retire, the last ten years of your life, parallel to your money, Investment making uh, uh, thing, you know, you get a group of people of like uh, like-minded people, and you start thinking of uh, you know a club or something to do this, you know. So I got got um, uh, got um, uh, became friendly with people who drive four by fours, you know. Even Thomas while Fu. I was working, yeah, Thomas, Thomas Fu, Fu and company, yeah. yeah, yes, my he's and my he's Sifu. Th- he's yeah. still somewhere yeah, out there, he, right? Well, now, he it? just came back from Antarctica. I mean, came back from another trip from around South America. Yeah. So I got in touch with him, you know, and I became friendly with him, and I became a co-driver and that kind of thing, you know. So, and then I was interested in photography, you know. So the last three, four years of my life, of my working life, I started this um, uh, com. Uh, those days we didn't have uh, WhatsApp and uh, Facebook and all that, so we had this um, uh, forums, you know, where people join. Uh, so I started with a couple of friends, um, a photo uh, a photo community online photo community called photomalaysia.com and at its height we had eighty thousand members. Yeah, okay. So lot. yeah, so from there, you know, my my interest in photography, I created this thing. Together with friends, of course, and uh, it it blossomed. And down around the time when Facebook and WhatsApp came out, then this thing started going down. So, if you're interested in photography, for example, then do something with like-minded people. You know, if you're interested in motorcycling, get together with them and then do something, even while you're working, so that when you retire, you're already established. I was ready to go. You know, when they say, "Hey, let's go," year two thousand, I retired ninety nine. Next week we are going to drive to um, to India. Uh, you want to come? Say yeah, of course. <laughs> so we drove to India. You know that kind of thing. I mean, you have to prepare, and not only your money side, your investment side, but your activity side. You know, and I wanted to write. You know, for example, I mean, I wrote for free. I, I wrote computer articles, which you believe it, for cheap photo video magazine. Fantastic. I mean, uh, I was quite a you know whisket with uh, with computers. You know, really? I build, yeah. I build okay. my own computers, by the way. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> I still see your postings on Facebook. I mean, you you write amazing postings on the places you've been. Fantastic. And then all your comments, hundred, two hundred comments, three hundred comments. Fantastic. Yeah, it, it's it's an interest. I I was interested in writing, as you know. I'm I was also like you, a, a contributor for Grid Magazine. You know? I was there. Travel writer, you were the financial analyst, you know the kind of thing. You know? So I, I love writing. Like you, uh, I also do not get uh, paid for my writing, you know. But I think you, you are different because it's your profession. Small, small. Yeah. yeah. But for me, I write for free. Yeah. I never get any money for writing for, for you know, for Grid and for all the magazines I write. So while you went on these trips, um, you had to have a spouse that was 
kind of like um, agreeable with this. And <laughs> and one of the rules that you said that even if she says no, you go anyway. <laughs> My often repeated, uh, you know, uh, must-have factors uh, to do like what to have a good retirement, do what you want to do is you know seven. As I said, you know, you must have a bit of money, which is your investment portfolio while you're working. And then secondly, you must have health. You must start doing it before your knees give way, you know, before you're attached to a dialysis machine. And then the third one, you must have a compliant spouse, you know, who allows you to go where where you want to go a few days, a few months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if she says no, you must be you prepared. Just go anyway. <laughs> uh, you must be prepared to go anyway, you know, and then uh, face the music when you come back <laughs> and say, sorry, la, I will take you to London, you know, or, or Paris, you know, that kind of thing. And of course, you must, uh, like I said, you must have a, a group of like-minded friends you know, and make friends with these like-minded people well before you retire so that this camaraderie uh, is built up over a long period of time, you know. And then you must have some special skill that you must you must develop. Like me, I'm interested in writing, I'm interested in photography, I'm interested in motorcycling and 4x4. So I made friends with these kind of people, you know. So you can then eventually, like I said, once you have these kind of skills, you can trade these skills for advantages and benefits in your in your in your uh, retirement period, and people say, uh, I mean, you you made the statement that this guy must be fabulously wealthy and going all over the world and all that. Well, the assumption outside is that you are, but ah, actually, you're quite canny yeah. in in circumventing a lot of the financial costs of, of course, coming, of right? course. Yeah. With Thomas Fu, you you volunteered to be a, a driver, yeah, and you volunteered to take photo photographs, yeah. and you go at subsidized rates, you know? and you got subsidized rates, yeah, and but you can go for free, or yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't go for free. You yeah. still have to pay your own yeah. effort, right? Mm. And even till today, some of the trips that you do, um, you, you've been quite canny about it. Of course, because um, the uh, it was um, uh, a cumulative thing, you know. Yeah. When I went with Thomas Fu around the world, when we drove around the world, I made friends in Ethiopia, in Morocco, in Libya, in um, you know Russia, people go in to these places. India, in Tibet, you know. So I make friends, you know, and I keep in touch with them. So when I want to go to Tibet, for example, I pick up the phone or I send them an email. I say, hey, I'm coming with a group of uh, seven people this date to that date. Can you please arrange for me a tour to go here, then everywhere, you know? So by the way, uh, can you get the hotel as well? Uh, there are seven of us. Can you arrange it in such a way that you know uh, the the hotel will give one free for the tour leader, you know, for every 10 people that he brings, that sort of thing, you know. So this, you pay, you still pay for your, your airfare and all that. You still pay for your expenses, your food. But at least it is subsidized because certain hotels, if you book 10 rooms, they will give you one for free. That's right. You know, if uh, even airlines, you know, you buy 15 tickets and they will give you one ticket for free. That's how the travel companies operate. So you dig into this kind of uh, thing, you know, and then you can then subsidize your your travels, you know, not not fully subsidize it, but enough to make your dollar stretch yeah. a little bit longer, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you you have to trade your. After all, you go to work, you've been making money for your company, you know. You've been thinking of ideas and yeah, things to make money. For yourself. So you must. That's what, that's what I mean. When you are working, start thinking a little bit about how to make money for yourself. What do you think about the social media now? Where you know, if you have a million, two million Instagram followers. They'll pay you X number of thousand dollars for a posting. Are you? I know you're getting into Facebook quite a lot. Mm. But I'm and not. I'm not. Uh, I mean, you, you might are, be surprised. I'm not on Instagram. You're not on Instagram. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I think you 
conscious or unconscious, but you're mainly focused on on Facebook. No, my, um, Facebook has got a limited number of um, of uh, you're allowed to have only I think five thousand friends or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, you kind of like what about Mark Zuckerberg's got like a million friends or something? Oh, Mark Zuckerberg like? earns Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> she wants the bloody no, thing. No, no, I think you are you're allowed to have only five thousand friends, but Instagram. It's unlimited. Unlimited, you know? yeah. Uh, so wasn't it Kylie Jenner, one of these? She's only twenty years old. She's got like a billion, million, well, whatever. All these famous people, all you know, actresses, famous, yeah. and all that. Yeah. I mean, what are we? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, I I prefer Facebook because I like to write, you know, and I, I I write stories. It's for my own pleasure, you know. I like to to share, you know, adventures, you know, things that I've seen. And uh, at the company, uh, a commentary, the company, the pictures I take. You know, I, I don't do this for money. Yeah. I have never sold any pictures, but uh, I'm working with uh, Cancer Research yeah. Malaysia to, to uh, you know, to um, have about forty of my pictures to be uh, sold to raise about half a million dollars for for cancer research. So yeah, I'll, I'll do it for charity, but not for, for yeah, personal. I understand. And I think a lot of people, when when they, they ask you or they ask me, how, how do you make money on social media? You know, how, how does it generate revenue? And, and actually, the, the benefits come quite strangely because, I mean, for example, for you, when you make a posting about, about one of your trips to Africa, about, you know, that famous one where the woman is blowing up a, a cow's udder, I think, or something, to, to generate the milk, uh, and then the amount of comments you get, um, it, it it sells a lifestyle that Yusuf Hashim has become famous for, and then it becomes kind of like a virtual cycle. So the the benefit is not direct in terms of the posting and the comments, but it sells the notion that you're this guy that can, that that is the soft stuff of bucket dreams and, and legend and dreams, and and suddenly you know the kind of people that want to come on your trips is huge, and you've got a list of people you can just choose from, this and then from there you can kind of like make decisions yeah. and. <laughs> and you can well not monetize it but work to your advantage right no, actually um, I was the retail marketing director of Shell so uh, you know marketing is in my blood what I do is basically marketing when I write articles to accompany my, my pictures it's indirectly marketing you know it's trying to create um, um, uh, feelings of people wanting to go to the places that I do. So it's part of an overall or a bigger, bigger. That's a lot. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say this on live, you know. It's <laughs> there's a method to the madness. Yes, there is method to the madness. It's just just like those uh, internet giants, you know. They give you free Gmail, you know. They give you free it's this, not, free that. Aim for free, man. You know, the aim eventually is to get eyeballs. Yeah. Because once you get eyeballs, then you sell advertising space. Right. You know, so when I write articles, I want eyeballs. Yeah. When people read these eyeballs, then uh, I mean, read these art articles, and then they they get this feeling. I I want to go there too. Absolutely. You know? So when I post a picture of uh, me climbing up Mount Ertaale, I mean, I mean the 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 the, <laughs> the, the intent is <laughs> <laughs> you know? actually to make you interested enough. To uh, you know, to come and join yeah, me. I yeah. mean, uh, so if twenty of you come, you know, then maybe I can get maybe half price for defray for your costs, ah, and then your, your retirement yeah. funds stretch ah, a little bit longer. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's what it is. It's a whole grand scheme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody is as canny as you, Yusuf. Um, so I remember you told me you became a certified pilot of one of those um, one of those things, those parasails. At the age of sixty-eight, yes, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You were on the edge of a volcano at sixty-five. You did Everest base camp in your sixties. Uh, 
is there a particular regime that you follow to stay no, fit? No, no, no. I'm just like. Or, are you just genetically for, fortunate? Uh, I suppose I'm a bit lucky, like, you know, because yeah. I think I've got good genes. I uh, I have no special regime. I've never exercised in my life. Are you serious? I eat what I want to eat. Are you serious? Uh, I'm serious. So thankfully, I think uh, my mother and my father have given me good genes. <laughs> so what do you think of all this notion that you got to eat well, you got to sleep well, you got all that? All no, I, I think you have you have to eat. Uh, you have to do things in moderation, you know. But uh, I mean, my my attitude is that I I notice that I I can get away with a lot of things, yeah. so I push the limit. No, because <laughs> I know you eat meat. I, I know we you were looking like at your, the steak yeah, just now, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all the marveling there. Yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of people they will swear that the mm. plant based diet is the mm. one to go for, but I, my favorite. The food is a steak, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've seen your postings from Argentina <laughs> where you're, you're tucking to this amazing tomahawk. So I, I'm just lucky, but some people are quite unlucky genetically. Maybe you know they they can't, uh, you know, they can't take rich foods, and um, you you have to exercise. I never exercise. The the most tires, tiring exercise I've done is actually nine holes of golf. <laughs> <laughs> so when you did Everest Base Camp, how old were you? Uh, sixty-five, I think. Sixty-five. Uh, yeah. Did you not train for that? Uh, well, I bought a walkulator, put it into my storeroom, and I did you that. Never for used what? it, did you? No, I, I I used it for three weeks before I went, and after I never used it. It's still there. I have a friend <laughs> and who just went to Everest Base Camp with his son. His son's, I think, uh, 16, 17 years old. He's a marathon runner. He does huge cycle rides. Very, very fit. He said it was one of the most difficult things he's ever done. Right? He's my age. He's forty-seven. Nah, they're trying to pull your leg. It's so easy. It's Are a walk serious? in the park. Yeah. You're not racing against anybody. <laughs> Are you no, kidding? No, That's I'm not. Everest, Everest I mean, Base Camp is 7,000 meters. No, 68 year old me can do it without any proper preparation. What, was your, a walk. what was your recollection of that trip? Fantastic. I mean, uh, you see, the, the, you, you get breathless when you pass about 4,000 meters, you know? Okay. And that's normal. Okay. So the, the, the trick is um, you should get one porter personal private potter for yourself because many people when they go on these trips they get one potter they share amongst five people you know? so get one potter for yourself they charge only about $25 US a day you know? and then you give them a couple of hundred as tips later on you know? so they become your personal potter they carry everything for you and you're not in a race with anybody so you walk at your Just own take your pace time and you yeah. along. And I, I go there for the photography so when I see a nice mountain you know I stop I, I take pictures and I sit down for a while, drink, you know, and then when we find along the way there are many of these lodges and coffee shops. Did and you all do that. a solo trip or with a bunch of no, guys? No, no, with a group bunch of friends. Guys, yeah. Yeah, a group of friends, you know. So they they are all ahead, you know. They reach the place four or five, three or four hours ahead of me, but I am still slogging along. I'm not like, racing with, with your, anybody. With your lens and your camera. Yeah, and stuff. no, I don't carry them. My potter carries them. <laughs> so when <laughs> I want, the, he carries everything. You know, and I want a camera, please. Camera, I shoot. A towel. That's the way to do it. That is <laughs> well, the way to do it. That is the way to do it. That is the way. It's not a race. Yeah, you just walk. And if you're tired, you stop. And you take. So of course, I. In order not to feel so um, not so embarrassed, stopping all the time, say, "Ah, pretend to take picture." <laughs> <laughs> so how many times? So you've done Everest. Was that the highest you've ever been? Uh, Annapurna, Annapurna, Everest. Annapurna is uh, lower, right? Slightly lower, but no, you don't go to the mountain. Yeah. You go to the base camp. You know, base camp is. I think Annapurna lower. base camp is about four thousand two hundred meters. Doesn't matter. It's uh, you know, it's it's, it's doable. Enough. It's yeah. just a it's just a walk. You know, so when you feel that, you just stop. You know. So what were the what what gave you these ideas? Was it because of someone you're within your group who said, "Hey, let's go here, let's go there," or did you have a bucket list of 
places that you wanted to do. I mean, I know some people want to go to Machu Picchu. Some people want to go and see the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. No, the the uh, climbing mountains is actually something that um, that is inside. You know, when I was in the military college, Royal Military College, oh, you know, yeah, we uh, during the holidays we have many expeditions. We go camping and all that. So one of the expeditions we went was to climb Gunung Korbu. You know, you can volunteer what you want to do. I purposely chose. The expedition to climb Gunung Korbu. Yeah. Gunung Korbu is the second highest mountain in Malaysia, in Peninsula Malaysia. Is okay. in the, um, uh, yes, and it's on the uh, just off Kinta, you know. So we had a 35 kilogram pack of uh, you know rations and camping equipment, and we're plodding along, you know. Hey, plodding along, and I was right at the back, you know. I in my head, I actually wanted to turn back and run, you know, and go home, you know, because it was that. Painful, you know. We carry extra boots because the boots tend to tear when you step on all kinds of things, you know. So I wanted to run, you know. I wanted to go back many times until after the second day we camped, you know. I cannot run anymore because now you cannot <laughs> so you go back. You don't know. You don't know how to go back. Yeah, yeah. So you just carry on. So you know the feeling you get once you get to the summit is fantastic, you know. And all the pains that you went through, you say, "Wow, this is worth it." No, I did it. I did it. So that was that feeling you can only get when you get up there. You know, you cannot explain it. I mean, all these um, people climb Everest and said, you know, um, why do you climb Everest? Because it's there, the kind of thing. You know, it, they just cannot explain the feeling that you have when you go there. But when you're climbing, you're walking, you're, it's terrible. So once you get that, then you continue to push yourself to get back that adrenaline rush. Yeah. Over of and having over done, and over yes. Again. So you know. So was that the trip? Was that the one climb that put the seed of yes, mountaineering? When I was like 16, 17 years old, when I did that Gunung Korbu was the was a very you know was was a very um, a significant learning point for me. You know the, the the feeling of this this adrenaline rush, the satisfaction of having climbed that mountain despite all this pain. You know, carrying thirty five kilos on your back for seven days. You know, climbing up and coming down. So, you keep looking for that kind of repeat uh, adrenaline rush, you know. And that's what drives drives you, you know. So you're one of the original adrenaline junkies. <laughs> <laughs> I've done I've done the uh, bungee at Victoria Falls. Yeah, Victoria uh, Falls. Yes, <laughs> Victoria Falls is the one in uh, Livingston. Livingston in uh, in, in um, the border of Zambia and Malawi. Oh, Angel Falls, the, Vic the Victoria, Victoria. So Falls. Victoria, okay, the yeah. one, the wide one, right? Yeah. How did that feel? Oh, beautiful. <laughs> so did you shit your pants? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. you must go into it. You know, I've done the Lake Taupo, uh, you know, bungee jump. I mean, the Queenstown in, New Zealand, one in yeah. New Zealand. So it's which is the best? Oh well, Victoria Falls, of course, yeah. is the highest. You know? yeah. Holy shit! Man. How did you feel when you were coming down? <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's what drives you to go yeah. one to one more. You know. So anyway, <laughs> what about when you went driving? Um, you you've done KL to London twice, right? You've done the several African times. Continent. Yeah. You stayed in the western, the eastern side, because yeah. the west, the western side is is more conflict ridden, right? Which was the best? They're all different. I mean, you cannot say one is the best. You know? They're all different. Uh, it's the driving, looking at new places, you know, experiencing new feelings, uh, meeting new new people, that kind of thing. You know, so you cannot say that you know, driving around South America is better than driving from Africa 
uh, uh, from Cape Town to Cairo or better than driving across the Sahara. You know, they're all different experiences and uh, you get different pictures. I go for the photography, you know. So, um, you, you, should, you should do these things, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think you've, been, you've also been very vocal about the importance of travel in terms of broadening one's perspective. Because a lot of Malaysians, in fact, a lot of people around the world, they don't travel enough and they become very parochial, very narrow-minded, a very, very um, tunnel vision in terms of how they view the world and other people, other cultures, other religions, whatever. Um, t t tell us about that. No, I, I think travel is, um, is beneficial because travel broadens your minds, you know. Travel rids your mind of bigotry, you know. When you travel, you meet people of different skin colors, different languages, you know, they look different. Some wear clothes, some don't wear clothes. And uh, uh, it makes you realize you know, that human beings, whether in Malaysia or in uh, the depths of Africa, you know, or in the, uh, you know, in India, you know, or in Tibet, they're all the same. They, like you and me, we want we want food, we want shelter, we want a good life for our, our kids, you know, we want clean water to drink, we want house, nice house to live in, security, you know, and we want love, you know, and we want to give love. So, everybody in the world has got the same needs as you and I. So why is it that you think that you are special? You're not special. Why, 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 why do you think that somebody whose skin color is black is, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is suspect, you know? Yeah. You know? I saw one 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 truck in Africa. Um, uh, the guy driving the truck has got a post a sticker in front of his, uh, uh, you know, of his truck to say that you know um, uh, I'm black, therefore I'm a suspect. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so when you travel, you know, it broadens your mind. You see, everybody in the world has got the same needs as you. You know, they're exactly like you, even though they speak a different language, they worship a different god. You know, over here in this country, you know, they say my God is better than your God, you know, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, kind of thing, and, and you know. So, and life becomes a bit... Yeah, so I think travel, travel broadens your minds and it makes you a very a more forgiving person, you know. You, you, you give and take, you, you know, the, the next guy, you know, the same blood is running through our veins, you know. I mean, if I'm in trouble, your blood can save my life, yeah. you know, vice versa, you know. So, right. so why, why, why is this That's need right. for, you know, That's and right. I, of course, I'm... Uh, I'm a bit, uh, you know, uh, vocal about this kind of thing, so I shall not say it over. <laughs> over <laughs> no, this you, thing. Should. you should. I should, <laughs> so that many more people will realize yeah. that uh, traveling is much more important than we think. Yeah. Seventy-three years old. Um, I know because we've interacted many times in the last few months, years. Um, I know you're one of those driven individuals. You're still planning your trips. You're still doing. Uh, you know your your expeditions. You've got I don't know how many terabytes of data that you want to compile in books. You've got all kinds of gigs now in social media. I know big brands want to associate it with want to associate with you. We've done Mercedes together. Um, I mean, how do you stay? How do you stay motivated? How do you stay driven? How do you stay just on on the case? I I I don't know. I mean, when you're retired, you've got nothing else on your mind, you know, and you're you're driven driven by by passion. You know, it's uh, photography is a passion for me. You know. I've got, as you say, something like 56 terabytes of uh, raw photographs at uh, 1.95 million raw images. Uh, what edit, what yeah. do I do with all this? I mean, my, my intent is that when I'm no longer able to walk, you know, I will then sit down and maybe start finishing the six books work in progress that I've got now, you know. 
and uh, and and maybe uh, when I can, I will do some some charity work with my pictures. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm working with uh, Cancer Research uh, Malaysia. Do you know that uh, yeah. they they're doing fantastic research? You know, uh, yeah. there are certain cancers which are typically unique to uh, Asian society. You know, that's never been researched. So in Malaysia, Cancer Research Malaysia is, is doing work in this aspect and they do not do it with um, funds from the government, uh, but they're doing it on a, on a voluntary freelance basis. You know? So how do your photographs help cancer research? Because I know that people there, some of them are pretty good um, and they're doing some good stuff over there. I'm, uh, I'm donating to them 40 of my best pictures, you know, and then uh, I will get them printed at my cost on, uh, on canvas. Maybe one or two meters uh, size, and then the funds, uh, and then uh, I will then donate the forty, and these are numbered prints, and they will then have this auction, and then one hundred percent of the proceeds will go to them, and the cost I will bear. Fantastic. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it costs about maybe a thousand ringgit per print on canvas, you know, because it's one and a half meters by maybe one or two meters, you know. Yeah. And then uh, I spend maybe thirty, forty thousand, but it's okay. It's you know my my. It's money. It's good money. Giving back to this good uh, to money society. well spent. Yeah. So I'm now in the process. Yeah, I've been working on it for the last uh, two, three months, collecting the picture, making sure that which one I want to do. You know, and then by by March or April, when I come back from Antarctica, I think I'll get it ready by then. So and when then when will the exhibition be? Maybe you can. We are targeting it sometime in March or April. So together with the uh, with the prints, I will do a a book, a coffee table book, uh, maybe short narrative on the pictures itself, and that book also will be will be sold online, uh, printed on demand, and again, one hundred percent of the proceeds will go to cancer research. I'm targeting to raise at least half a million ringgit. That's amazing. Uh, That's really then, amazing. Uh, yeah. So that as a start, and I'll give them rights to number one to number ten. And if uh, in the future anybody else wants to buy it, uh, then they can have it printed on their own at their own cost, and then uh, and then and then sell. And again, it. cancer research. Yeah. yeah. So for for each print, there'll be a series of ten numbered, and it'll be donated to cancer research. It's fantastic, fantastic. I can't I can't think of a more fulfilling venture. Um, how will you select your pictures? Will it be based on you know um, something which which speaks? This to is the, to this the is what I've been working on for the last two three months, you know, and uh, thinking about what should the theme be. Yeah, you know? um, I I uh, initially wanted to uh, sh- uh, show how how beautiful our world is, how varied our world is, what are the cultures and all that. But uh, I'm slowly zeroing in onto uh, maybe. Um, uh, some some you know some some pictures which illustrate certain qualities of uh, of humankind you know um, the differences uh, and how beautiful these differences are you know so I I haven't really finalized it but I've got about maybe a hundred to two hundred prints or, or, or pictures that I'm now looking seriously so maybe a bit later I will probably get one or two uh, curators to come and uh, help me curate uh, you know. A proper, you know, sequence. Well, I haven't done as much traveling as you, um, but for people who have done extreme adventures like yourself, they say that the one thing that they discover about people when they're traveling is the generosity, the 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 honesty, the the realness of the people that they meet on the road. And some of these people, they're ordinary people. They could be farmers. They could be 
um, normal, just you know, ordinary salt of the other people, but they're the nicest, most unhostile people that you can ever come across. And this is goes against the grain. Before they go traveling, people say, "Oh, you should be afraid of going through Iran or or the Khyber Pass because they'll kill you with their machine guns." But they say it's, it's not the case. Is is that true? M- many of this uh, thing are. Uh, are being propagated by media which are very biased. Huh? Yeah. I mean, there is um, a deliberate uh, uh, effort by Western media. Um, so you, which, you do uh, which, agree that this is... Yeah, 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 of course. They, 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 they try to run down Iran, for example. No? Yeah. If you go and travel in Iran, it is one of the most friendly countries in the world. You know, if you go through Esfahan, for example, you know the town, the city square, you know, every evening, weekends, you know, they will, the families will come and camp there, you know, and if you walk through that, you know, they will come and offer you tea and say, come, come and sit down with us. And we were sitting in this coffee shop, you know. I mean, we are obviously like foreigners because, you know, we have Chinese friends and all that, you know. And uh, we are never, nowhere like, look completely like, like, uh, to like them. in Iran. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm having, sitting here with three or four friends, uh, Chinese friends and Malay friends, and having tea, you know. And then when we want to pay, I go, no, 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 don't pay. Fantastic. That guy over there has paid. Fantastic. And then he waves, you know. And of course, we went there to tell, to, to uh, say thank you to him. And what did he ask you? He says, how do you like Iran, you know? He wanted to practice his English, he said, you know. <laughs> I've been learning English, he said. I wanted to practice my English. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're very nice, you know. And then they're very, very friendly. I mean... You know, in Iran, um, it is against the law, or it is the law, that if a traveler passes by your house and he asks you for water and you're in the desert, for example, your house, you have to give him the water. And in fact, outside many Iranian houses in the outskirts of town, you know, they have got the spots where there are cups, you know, that travelers can pass by and take from their house and drink. You're kidding? Yeah. Fantastic. So, you know... And and they're so friendly and so polite, you know. They they, I I think this is this Western media with their own agenda, trying to run down Iran. You know, they're the yeah. Most so to kind of like justify their war on mass, you know, uh, weapons of mass so destruction. So go and visit Iran before you make all kinds of assumptions about how how bad they are. Yeah, a, f- a friend of mine was a photographer as well. He's he when he traveled through the Middle East, he said that. Um, it's quite uncanny because he was in market squares and there was a little skirmish run about a few hundred meters from them and all the camera crews were there, CNN and all BBC and all them. Tiny scuffle, right? And he was in the marketplace having a cup of coffee and it was the most peaceful situation. But because it was just homed in on that little one scuffle, it was beamed all around the world and being Precisely, portrayed. Yeah. As yes, I mean, media people, you know, they've got uh, agendas. Yeah, just bloody media uh, people. <laughs> <laughs> Not bloody. <laughs> But I mean, even our local newspapers, and I see, you know, I, 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 in fact, I wrote to the editor of Star, you know, these naughty things they've done, you know. They, they write the story in one, in one three-column place, you know, a story about one lady being raped. And then they put Nilofa's picture next to another story so in naughty, the same right? thing. So naughty. Yeah, it's, the first time you read, you say, ah, Nilofa got raped or something. <laughs> so, Ridiculous, right? Uh, it's idiotic. I mean, it's not, you shouldn't do that. No, know? media people do that all uh, the time. Now, and now if you see the star, you know, I mean, I mean, the way that they are yeah. pushing certain ideas. Yeah, you know, so. and I mean, okay, um, I, I don't want to out my own industry, but um, some, some of the new ministers within the Malaysian cabinet, I just get this uncomfortable notion that some of them, I, I know they're trying hard and I know that they've got good intentions, their heart is in the right place, but they're being 
I guess in terms of the coverage, there's a kind of like an agenda against some of them. I'm not going to say which ones, right? And I think it's a bit unfair. And I don't know why media people do this. Uh, maybe it's because of the political yeah. ownership of the, of these yeah. newspapers. Uh, but I think all all these um, things going on in the media and all that yeah. is all don't I believe mean, driven, what you read, driven, uh, driven by agenda. politics, uh, by, yeah. by a political agenda. So, so do you read do you read the newspapers still, or do you just not bother with it? I do, I do. I mean. Um, when I sit in my throne, on my throne, <laughs> when I don't have a newspaper, I've got my Surface Pro there and then reading all kinds of things. You know? But uh, I, I do still need read newspapers. In your opinion, which is the most? I, I only read the the you know the the Star because you you know they, you subscribe to it online. You know? yeah. They they deliver the papers. You know so, but I have. Uh, some favorites. You know, I, I I read, of course, Malaysia Kini, you know, and I read uh, Stadiaku. You know? Oh, yeah. okay, Stadiaku is good. And, and of course, to balance, I read Raja Petra. I read Papagomo. You know, Papagomo's a character. Yeah, I read I read all of that in order to get a balanced view. You know, so but so long as you know what's going on, yeah, and uh, you, you make up your mind what is right, what is wrong. You Do know? you think Malaysia is in a in a better place now? I think we are starting to get to a better place, okay? And uh, if we were uh, going on as we were in the past, then we probably would never get to a better place, you know? <laughs> but I think we are on the track to go to a better place, you know? And I was, for, so example, for example, I was so happy that the two demonstrations that we had this weekend, no? was Peaceful, when, uh, when we But I was also a bit uh, appalled by what went on at those demonstrations, you know, on the kind of, uh, you know, uh, things that they were doing and um, completely uh, uncalled for, you know, I mean, uh, it gives a very bad, I mean, a, a critical thinker will look at what they were saying, you know, and I, I think it's, it's bad. Well, I mean, even in America, you've got, you know, various smaller segments of society that still continue to behave. I mean, even in the UK, some of the richest countries in the world still have certain swaths of society which don't have this necessarily the same kind of like intellectual um, breadth that, you know, um, the learned society might have. I don't know whether it's an education thing or whether it's an upbringing thing or... I, I don't know. Um, no, I think, but the I world think, is um, developing yeah, and maturing no, at different no, speeds. I, I think um, generally I, I believe we are on to the right path. Slowly we are getting yeah. where we should be going. You know? yeah. But it's a, it's a very steep learning curve and it's a long journey, you know, because of insecurities of uh, of people and you know anyway i don't think uh, <laughs> we should be talking about politics you know, because this kind of thing is quite sensitive you know? i have very very strong views <laughs> but you're right i think malaysia is moving the right path eventually we're getting there yeah. the room will be built yeah, in that day yeah. but <laughs> it takes a long time well, i mean uh, to see uh, almost uh, you know six, uh, 30 40000 people in not not you know messing around yeah. doing crazy things, wrecking windows and all that. I think I think it's good, you know? I think it's good. But their thinking is still, I think, still... Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Neanderthal. Dr. <laughs> Dragos. <laughs> so, um, Antarctica, in a couple of months, uh, you've got your work with cancer research. What's next for you? What's the next um, no, huge have, challenge? Uh, next, next year, I've got my calendar quite full. Next month, I'm off to Antarctica for the fourth time. Incredible. I'm bringing, uh, bringing about... 60, 70 friends, you know. We've, 60 to 70 now. Uh, yes, uh, we've uh, more or less chartered a, a huge ship that can take about 100 people. 
and uh, it's a shared cost kind of a thing, you know. And um, we'll be sailing across Drake's Passage. Uh, if you know, if you've heard about Drake's Passage, uh, it's named after Francis Drake, one of the early explorers. You know? And what's uh, the cost of one of those trips? Um, about fourteen, fifteen thousand US. You about know? sixty-five thousand ringgit or so. Uh, about that, yes, about that. Which is you can kind of like almost justify that if you're going to do that once in a lifetime. For your yeah, it's a once in a lifetime thing, you know. So yeah. I think I think everybody should try and and and, and do it. Uh, but like I said, when I do these things, you know, I if I bring sixty people, you know, they'll give me one yeah. at half price or something like that, yeah. the kind of thing. You know? So that's how I <laughs> help subsidize my own travel. You know? So I'll be going to Antarctica to cross the Drake, to sail across the Drake's Passage, end of this year. Uh, in January the eighth, I'll be there until end of January, and then I come back. Uh, I got one or two short trips to the Philippines and all that. In uh, August, I will go back to the Serengeti, uh, the final time because uh, I film the wildebeest to film the to shoot the, the wildebeest shoot migration, yes. and yeah. then immediately after that, I will fly straight to. Uh, Svalbard, I've shuttered Again? the ship. Yeah. Yes, I've shuttered the ship for about 21 friends to try and make another attempt to go to the North Pole in summer. Did, did, <laughs> did you not make it the last time? No, because ice stopped us. Froze uh, over. About seven, 600 kilometers. So Svalbard is in Norway, is it? Yes. No, Svalbard is north of Norway. It's the it's, uh, Spitsbergen. It used to be called Spitsbergen. And then uh, after that, I will come back and uh, I've got a recce plan to go and survey Wrangell Island. I will sail from Kamchatka through the Bering Strait into Wrangell Island. And the beauty about Wrangell Island is it's where the Russian Institute of Polar Bear Research is. So, Holy shit. So, <laughs> those, are, so, those are proper trips. So, uh, you know, um, um, Nikolai Ovsyanikov, the deputy director of the Russian Institute of Polar Bear Research there, is a friend of mine. Uh, he was with me when we went to Svalbard the first time. And another guy, Morton Jorgensen, who wrote the book Polar Bear on the Brink, um, about how polar bears are being uh, are going extinct. Because there are only about 22,000 polar bears left in the world. Every country in the world, um, abutting the Arctic Ocean, has banned the killing of polar bears. But Canada and the US are shooting for sport seven hundred and fifty polar bears every year. Still, so at this rate of uh, of, of depletion uh, by about twenty twenty five, my friend uh, Nikolai and uh, Morton tells me that polar bears are going to be near extinct. Yeah, so even you know Russia has banned the killing of polar bears since uh, nineteen fifty seven. Can you imagine? But in uh, in uh, Alaska and in um, uh, West Greenland, Canada, um, the Inuits, the Eskimos, they've got licenses to, they're allowed to yeah. shoot polar bears, you know, for, for their whatever, their ancestral rights and all that. You know? So what they do now is that they can kill, but they no longer need to kill polar bear for survival. So they auction their, their license. You know, You're kidding. To then. the American or foreigners or whoever wants to buy the license to shoot this this polar bears, you know, it's and they insane. sell it for forty, fifty thousand kind of dollars. The, the closest know? I've been to a polar bear is at Singapore Zoo. So this guy was seven or eight foot tall. <laughs> um, you, you know what they say about climate change and how the the polar ice caps are melting and the rising sea levels are rising? Is that true? You see, uh, the polar bear 
the, the food of the polar bear is the seals, you know, and they run, uh, they hunt the seals on the on the floating ice packs, you know. So those days when the climate was well, I mean, the the, the ice packs were closer to Greenland, closer to land, you know, so they didn't have to go so far. But now you want to see polar bear, you have to really sail out quite far out into the Arctic Ocean, you know, because many of these ice flows are further out, you know, they 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 melt a bit earlier. So they, they, they are more uh, away from, from, from land because they catch the seals on this floating ice, you know. So if this thing is, uh, is uh, too far out in the, the ocean and they want to come back for their hibernation, you know, then they got to swim hundreds of miles, you know, <laughs> for the next, uh, you know, to sleep in the, in the in next winter. So yes, but I, I think global warming, you know, is not, not, not too visible. Uh, an impact on polar bears. What I found most um, most um, uh, sad is that in uh, the Arctic Ocean, you know, seven hundred kilometers from anywhere near um, uh, civilization, you know, you get a small island, you know, small island. What do you see? Plastic. You see plastic bottles. You see fishing, uh, you know, fishing floats. You see fishing nets. You see polystyrene cases all being washed ashore you know yeah. so when we go many of us are quite uh, concerned about these things we pick what we can you know and take it back on the ship and then when we get to shore that is insane we, yeah because yeah. Th this is the thing that's actually more worrying than all your so-called yeah I've, I've seen on youtube i think off the coast of hawaii there's this there's this area where the currents collect there's this huge is several kilometers long and all the plastics Floating, are, yeah have you heard about that? Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, because uh, you know, in, in places where you know the nearest humankind is about seven hundred kilometers away, yeah. you find plastics on the on it's the insane. shore. There's nobody there. You know, nobody's ever lived there. But you find fishing nets, fishing floats, polystyrene boxes, fish boxes. You know, f plastic drink bottles all being washed ashore. I mean, and you find whales beaching, beaching and and dead. Why? When they cut open the stomach, they find plastic back in it. Because the whale will eat krill, you know? they open their mouth wide and they take yeah. in everything, and then all these plastics get in, and they fill up the stomach, and 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 they they starve to death because the stomach gets filled with all kind of plastic waste and it doesn't come out, it doesn't dissolve, so they die. I, I can't say. I mean, even at this point in time where there's so much awareness about climate change and and environmental de degradation, I don't think enough is being done to address. You know, uh, the use of plastics. So you know, I mean, you see, um, you see turtles, you see turtles with straw in their nostrils. You know, you saw that. Also? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, you can see videos on on the internet. Maybe that should be one of your themes mm. for. I uh, not maybe not for cancer research, but I mean, the kind of because the kind of stuff that you see when you travel, you take photographs. I'm sure you have. Yes, I I, I have. I've got all kinds of. So that's why this this um, photography thing that I'm doing. I'm still trying to figure out what is the most uh, relevant, yeah. uh, relevant thing that I should highlight. You know? I've, I've got pictures for everything, you know. <laughs> so uh, I, maybe I can make it into four parts. Uh, maybe one is the environment, one is the diversity of my, mankind, and maybe the third part is uh, you know the beauty of of, yeah. of the Earth, yeah. of this little blue planet, and then maybe the last one something to do with different customs, that kind of thing, you know. I mean, that picture of this guy, yeah. this lady blowing into yeah. the thing to, yeah. to stimulate milk. You know, it, should be, it should be interesting. But anyway, so, uh, so travel more, you know. You, you see a lot of things. So I'm trying to encourage people to retire earlier and then go and see the world. But then don't, don't, don't make traveling to be 
the the uh, the thing that everybody should do, you know, because I think um, people mistake that I'm trying to don't, don't make the mistake I'm trying to persuade you to become a photographer to go and see the world because yeah. uh, many people have got different different interests. You know? uh, some people retire they they want to go and get a master's degree or a doctorate. You know? Some people want to become an artist, you know, to start painting that kind of thing. So the point I'm making is that you should have something in your mind to do that you're passionate about uh, during your retirement years. I mean, don't become a cliche retiree, you know, don't become a, a, a school bus driver for your grandkids, you know. Don't start to think that, you know, retirement is the beginning of the, the end, waiting for death kind of thing, you know. Retirement is the best part of your life, you know. And um, the, the way to do it is to think strategically, to, to say that the purpose of my life is to have a good time towards the end after I've, I've worked and raised or, 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 or saved enough or made enough money and then to spend it and then do what I've been wanting to do. I mean, for me, it's four, four things. I mean, I wanted to write, I wanted to travel, uh, I wanted to take pictures, you know. Th those are the three or four things that uh, that I wanted to do and I, you know, that that's what drives my my retirement. That what that's what I think keeps me alive. You know, <laughs> if I were to sit down there and wait for my you know my my twelve o'clock for me to send my grandson to school, <laughs> you'll send your nuts. <laughs> send your nuts. nuts. You're right. <laughs> every time I see you, every time I meet you, you know, this huge inspiration to me. So, I mean, you are one of my seafoods yourself. So um, I, I hope that what you've shared, you know, the last couple of hours will really be a source of inspiration to anybody who watches this anywhere in the world. And for them to really, you know, rethink how they live life and rethink how they look at their careers, and I think that, um, you know, I think really your legacy will be the, the amount of inspiration. That's that one more message I want. I want to pass on. You know, I mean, for retirees, you know, many people retire, and then they have a small sum of money, you know, that they get from retirement benefits, you know, yeah. and then they go and invest this into some kind of a business or whatever, you know, thinking of trying to make money. You know, yeah. I think this is wrong. When you retire, it is not the time to start investing in new ventures, you know. Uh, you, you are putting your whole nest egg into something that, that's not certain. And people don't understand that when you see a successful uh, a company in the supermarket or in the, you know, in the shopping, shopping center, you only see 40% who are successful. Right. The 60% who have been closing shop, you know, right. so many times. You, know, you, go, you go now and see you know, yeah. how many times they've been changed. Uh, of ownership and new 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 businesses are coming up you know so when you retire for goodness sakes do not start thinking of investing into some new business especially if you're not financially literate yeah. I mean, so many st yeah. horror stories about people who yes. invested in gold schemes yes. and yeah. all kinds of schemes I mean, and they lost their pants and they've that, got that one this gold scheme thing is pure greed you know it's uh, just remember that you cannot get something for nothing that's right <laughs> and the more super normal yeah. the returns the yeah. more super normal yeah, the risk it's nonsense so when you retire I mean, spend your money, you know. The time for making money is when you're working, you know. And when you're working, save your money. Postpone consumption. And when you retire, spend it. Because one of your favorite things, if not your favorite things, is not your money until you spend it. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, today, or oh, yesterday, somebody sent me a picture, you know, because I was talking about uh, retirement and all. They sent me a picture of some billionaire who's 100 years old and still working. You That's know? ridiculous. I mean... My, my my point I've been making all over the place is that you know if you spend these guys this billionaire spends a million a day you know at, the, at starting from first of January until the thirty first of December he would have spent three hundred sixty five million by the time 
the end of the year comes, his net worth would have increased by more than three hundred six five because of even at four percent yeah. annually. Yeah, it's crazy. So I mean, that's not his money. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> why why do does he persist in making you know making more and more money that he cannot spend? And your, you, you've got stories from your classmates who are still, some of them, not going to mention uh, any names. Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> who are still attending board meetings and um, still pushing the envelope. I mean, professionals like doctors and lawyers But as well. I think, I think slowly I've been winning over a few of my friends, huh? uh, trying to tell them that. Coming look, with you in your trips? Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, coming, not coming with me on my trips, but, you know, thinking seriously about retiring. You know, professionals like doctors and lawyers and businessmen, architects and, you know, that kind of people, they will never retire. Tomorrow they are dead. Today they're still working. Yeah, that's because right. That's the sad tragedy of it. Ah, yeah, because they, they, this opportunity cost of stopping work, you know, because, they, you know, when they work, money comes in. No? And if they go on holiday, you know, they, they will tell you, yeah, they, they say, hey, I'm paying 20000 for this holiday trip. But actually, I'm paying more, you know, because every day that I stop, I'm not earning 10,000 a day. <laughs> I mean, this kind of thinking uh, will never make them stop. I mean, people who own banks, for example, the billionaire who own ba- the, guy the biggest bank. We shall not mention names. We shall not mention names. But he's a billionaire. He's got three or four billion, you know. I mean, he's still working. He's 80, you know. He's, more he, than 80 now. Nah, he's more than 80. He's still working and earning more and more money. I mean, why don't they take that money and put it to some use, you know? I mean, for example, if Bill Gates, who is worth $40 billion, were to give $1 million, you know, to the head of a family in Africa, you know, who is uh, who's poor, you know, I mean, they would be set up for life. You know, don't give him the money, but give him something that's worth $1, $1 million to, to start a business. I mean, you know how they can change, you know. And he's got $40 billion. Well, Bill Gates is different because he started his foundation with his wife and he's been doing amazing things. And he's nowhere near. I mean... The guy who runs the bank in Malaysia, he's too old, you know, and there's quite a lot of them who are too old to change. Now, that's why I, I say the, the wealthiest people in the world today are widows of uh, silly men, <laughs> silly rich men who didn't know how to spend their money. And then when they died, they left all their money to their wives who are now the enjoying wives, it on their and, behalf. And the wives take lovers. Was <laughs> <laughs> it the one from Hong Kong? Nina Wang, I think. Or was it Nina Wang? She's the, she's the bit of an oddball looking one of the small hairstyle and she, she, she's the daughter of a, a wife of a billionaire ah, I think yes I don't know I heard stories but you know I, I mean these rich people can sue you from across the ocean <laughs> so we shall not better, mention better it <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. you've been an, uh, a constant source of inspiration to me and everybody also listens to you so thank you again and um, I mean again 2019 amazing year for you amazing trip so Good luck. Thank you. See Thank you. you. It's, it's and, nice, uh, uh, you know, so. letting off steam, you know. I just wish more and more people would retire early, you know. The purpose of work is to earn enough so that you can spend it. I mean, the purpose of life is not to work till you die. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, uh, Chong, thanks care. very much. I enjoy myself. So.